Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. As ever, if you want to get in touch, you can drop me an email to techtalk at newstalk.com. That's the place for any questions, queries, comments. If you want to say hello, if you want to read along with us for our book club, we are reading John Ronson's So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Cameron and Kira will be with me in two weeks' time to review it. Uh, so if you want to join in, read along with us, uh, get on top of it. Email me your thoughts about the book. The email address is techtalk at newstalk.com. Now, the Digital Services Bill and the Digital Services Act are terms that you probably heard a little bit about, but you may not be completely au fait with. There is an awful lot of legislation coming into place to try and put manners on big tech and technology as a whole. I know I have a lot of questions about it all, and I am delighted to say that Joe Joyce of Taylor Wessing International Law Firm, based here in Dublin, is with me now to explain pretty much everything. Uh, Joe, let's scrape it all back and start at the very beginning. Can you just give us an introduction as to what exactly the Digital Services Bill is, please? Yeah, absolutely. So the Digital Services Bill um, exists in order to tidy up effectively and implement some elements of the European Digital Services Act. Um, Because that's a regulation, it technically has what's called direct effect, which means that actually individual EU countries don't need to do much uh, to bring it into force. It just springs to life magically, much as the GDPR did a few years ago. Um, But the the legislation is necessary to, to... tidy off a couple of things um, to ensure that uh, the uh, chosen regulator, um, uh, the Commissioner Mean, is is appointed properly and um, to effectively ensure that everything is ready uh, for enforcement and proper regulation to start uh, soon. And the Digital Services Act, so the EU uh, regulation, is basically, it's, it's quite a, a, a bold piece of, of law. It's designed to try and make the internet a safer and more trustworthy pay, uh, place, which is, I think we can all agree, laudable, but quite a big ambition. Um, it's, it's uh, in some senses, covers an awful lot of ground. It covers all sorts of online businesses, organisations, uh, from the uh, delightfully named VLOPs, very large online uh, platforms to um, to to much smaller organisations that are doing interesting things um, in the digital space. So it's going to be very wide reaching and have big impact uh, right across the EU and indeed beyond. Because if you have a customer base in the EU, even if you're a big US company, uh, for example, you are definitely going to have to be complying with this as well. Yeah, and you referenced the GDPR there, which we're always talking about in this show. We, the consumer, the average consumer, I believe, are better off as a result of it. Will we feel the same benefits of the Digital Services Act and the Digital Services Bill, you know, in a day-to-day way? Or is this more going to put manners on big tech uh, and so on behind the scenes? Mm. It's a little bit of both. Um, One of the things that the Digital Services Act is designed to address is things called dark patterns. So effectively, when uh, website operators and large platforms sort of use digital tricks, the way they position things, the way they they, pop up to times, they do things to encourage people to behave in ways that they they wouldn't otherwise do. 
Um, and I think we will start to see that um, there'll be much more transparency online, particularly some of the bigger platforms that maybe have got away with things for, for quite a while. Um, and I think one of the areas where we're definitely going to see um, a shift is that it's, there's going to be much more sort of focus on things like age verification and child protection. Whereas kind of up until now, the general approach has been sort of if there's any sort of age bar barrier, it's mostly sort of self-certification. And the uh, the approach both under the, the Digital Services Act, but also under the the new online safety code that the um, the commission here in Ireland are, um, are are currently consulting on. That there's going to be very much a focus on being you know, practical, meaningful steps with with some proper enforcement behind it. So I think day to day the, the changes won't be won't be massively apparent, but I think there will be uh, a significant shift in, in kind of how easy it is for children to see inappropriate content. Um, I think it, it will become a lot harder. Um, and also there will be kind of new redress mechanisms put in place. And uh, also, you know, if, if, if you're concerned about content, if you want to have things taken down, the penalties for not having a proper kind of notice and takedown process on your website are going to suddenly become much more strictly enforced and serious for businesses that are operating online platforms. So I think we will notice a change. Um, it's a little bit, uh, I, I always compare it to the, the GDPR because, um, you know, that's what's one of my areas of, of specialism. And it's interesting. Interesting that you know there was pre-existing data protection law uh, in Ireland and around uh, the EU before the GDPR came into force, but it was really that having that sudden big public push, um, you know, lots of attention, focus on fines, and really actually, you know, the, it's quite shameful for for organisations to be um, sloppy in their care of personal data. Now, I think it, it introduces sort of a moral element to data privacy, which really wasn't there before. And I think that, you know, a similar effect will, will, will happen with the DSA, that actually um, we're still sort of seeing a, a, a sort of a crescendo now, really. It's, it's you know, building up over some years that, that um, you know, platforms, particularly larger platforms, um, you know, that are, if they're not targeting children, they're certainly not discouraging them from um, from using their, their sites, are going to feel that there's not, not only public pressure, but public pressure that comes with, Going to meaningful enforcement behind it. So yeah, I think we're definitely going to see some changes. I think um, we are definitely going to see some improvements. Unlike the GDPR, because this is brand new law, there really isn't a precedent. I think it's going to be much harder for, for the new regulator. Um, you know, not least because they're also a broadcast regulator, so they have other things to be doing. Um, but it's going to be hard for them to work out how they they, they work with the European Commission and how uh, they you know how do they engage with particularly the big tech companies because you know what. Well, they would, I'm sure, um, you know, many of us would, you know, many people would love to see them kind of, you know, beat with a big stick over this. Actually, if you want to get stuff done, you've got to be a bit collaborative. So I think working out exactly how that process man is managed and, and um, is, is kind of set up is, is, is still something that, you know, we're all keen to see. Yeah, and I think the uh, Online Safety Commissioner, Eve Hodnett, she was talking to us here on the programme a few months ago and she was saying that there is dialogue happening between the big tech firms. One thing that I'm curious about, though, is we know a lot of the big tech companies have their European HQ here in Ireland. Will they face extra headaches for having based themselves here under this legislation? Um, like, would you would they, would it be different if they were, you know, in London or in Manchester rather than Dublin, Cork or Galway? Well, um, so yes and no. Um, they they will have different challenges for, for, for being, being being based here in Ireland. Um, but the UK is going on its own journey, um, as as it often does post Brexit and similar legislation. So the Online Safety Act um, is is um, you know, being pushed forward there, and and so actually. 
uh, while there is a slightly different approach in the UK, the level of regulation will be will be very similar. And I think you know, whether you're actually a, you know, a large tech company or a relatively small Irish business, the UK is likely to be an important market for you. So most organisations are going to have to start adhering to the UK law and the uh, the EU law. So yeah, having an EU headquarter situation will won't make much of a difference because you will be caught if you have uh, customers in the EU. So actually, I think being based in Ireland, which is used to regulating big tech, obviously not uh, as, as we've all heard of, over recent years without uh, criticism. I think being being uh, headquartered here and actually you know, the, the, the new commission that's being set up is that they, you know, they are they are going on a hiring spree. They, they are putting serious resource uh, into, into sort of, you know, getting ready to do this. The, I think their aim is by the end of 2024 to have 250 full-time regulators, which will be about twice as many as the EU has um, for, for dealing with some of uh, the, the, the um, matters that will be on their plate under this regulation. So I don't think that there will be more headaches for organisations because they're based um, in Ireland, but uh, certainly they can expect quite active regulation. Mm. Um, you alluded to it there a second ago in terms of the cooperation and collaboration of big tech and other tech companies uh, when it comes to the enforcement and corrective measures under this legislation. We know that there have been huge changes at X, formerly known as Twitter, over the years and um Elon Musk has been very outspoken and very critical of Ireland in particular and some of our approaches to uh, regulating online media. Is non-compliance going to be an option here? Like what what happens if, and I'm not just putting this at the, at the door of X, but what happens if any of those big tech companies refuses to comply or play ball? Um, like where can it end up? Um, I mean, there is a real challenge when a really big player like X refuses uh, to engage the law um because to to a certain extent you know whilst there are massive fines uh, that can and and will be levied for for particularly for deliberate non-compliance or refusal to comply um actually you know, extracting money uh, from companies that refuse to to pay fines voluntarily is a you know could be a, an arduous legal process um really you know we are going to be quite heavily reliant on the kind of the shame factor but frankly, if you aren't prepared to co- cooperate in, in what the EU and um, you know, national regulators believe is important legislation to ensure safety and transparency online, then you know, shame shame is the alternative. Um, it, it will uh, you know, fines can be pursued through the courts if necessary. Um, but I think the you know, refusal to to engage at all is going to be unusual. And I think X the, the leadership of, of, of X and the the operations um, there are relatively unique. Um, you know, we're not seeing other social media platforms or other large tech companies uh, kind of out and out saying that they won't engage. And I, and I don't think that that's going to become a pattern. Mm. Another thing that struck me in my conversation with Neve Hodnett um, was that, mm. uh, you know, I, I suppose she was saying that they don't want to be going out issuing all these fines. The ho- The hope is that everyone brings their house in order and the internet becomes a safer, happier place. How, I suppose, how realistic is that notion? Um, Because we know even with GDPR, when GDPR came in, we're still seeing fines for things that, you know, fall through the cracks or were maybe overlooked and so on. Will we get to the stage where everything is rosy in the garden at all times? 
Um, I'm afraid probably not. Um, and in the same way that I don't think we'll get to a stage in the context of data privacy in the GDPR where you know data breaches cease and people remember to use the BCC function when they're sending out important emails and laptops don't get left on trains. I think these things will always happen. Um, but you can't make the perfect the enemy of the good when it comes to um, to, to, to regulation. And you certainly, there's, there's certainly nothing to be said for refusing to try simply because we can't you know reach a you know a, a beautiful you know on safe safe online paradise i think we have to accept that uh, you know particularly as technology is is changing so rapidly that the challenges that come with it are rapidly changing the the digital services act updates uh, the old e-commerce directive um, that, that's tw over, over 20 years old now that's the year 2000 that piece of legislation came into force and you know, one of the reasons that EU legislation tends to be a little bit uh, broad um, and, and often hard to interpret is because it has to sort of stand the test of time. So I don't think that um, we, we can assume that this, that, that either the Digital Services Act or the work of the Commission is going to magically make everything better. But I think, you know, we've seen that the GDPR has improved people's understanding of their privacy rights, their access to it i think you know thinking of the types of businesses that that i advise now compared to you know 10 years ago when it was probably much harder to get businesses to take privacy seriously and i think in the same way that there has been no great incentive for online businesses to worry about safety security you know good practices transparency other than you know wanting to be able to say that we act ethically well i think it's going to be much harder for them to pull the wool over anyone's eyes if you know if they're not practicing what they preach soon so no, I don't think we'll, 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 you know, the online world is going to become safe, but I think it will become safer. And I think that's good enough. Mm. Uh, you mentioned at the top, this is no small feat because the internet's obviously massive. There are new platforms, there are new websites, there are new apps coming onto the market every day of the week. But we're also having this discussion at a time when AI and generative AI is developing before our very eyes. Will are these things coinciding at the perfect time as more applications of ai are coming into the market they'll have to function within certain parameters or has the horse already bolted and legislation is playing catch up um a little bit of both to be honest with you um the the horse has definitely bolted particularly when it comes to ai um and one of the challenges for regulators but also the challenges for, for businesses even those that really want to do the right thing is that they're being hit with uh, not only a sort of a, a sort of tsunami of digital change and new possibility but also uh, you know a massive tidal wave of regulation sort of belatedly trying to address all of the different aspects you know, in many ways i think that the, the gdpr was the precursor to this sudden wave of um, of new legislation that we're seeing coming out of the eu and you know other other countries worldwide one of the challenges of operating an online business is that you can't just care about you know the, the the jurisdiction that you're based in. You have to care about what's going on in the US, in Singapore, in in the UK, um, as well as you know what's going on in Dublin. So it's it's it, it's very challenging to look at all this new legislation and think right does it does it coincide does it overlap is it complementary um you know you can end up you know a lot of 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 what we're asking businesses to do involves better better accountability so that's more record keeping that's proper assessments of the risk but do you do a different assessment under the dsa under the uh, ai act as it will be soon um under the gdpr how, you know how can you manage your your compliance in a way that that 
that covers all of these different areas at once um, without missing anything out. And as regulators, you know, how do you decide where to draw the line? Um, so it's it's a really, I think, challenging environment. But to suggest that this is, you know, this is, you know, completely taking us all by surprise, I think, I think you know, m- many of us feel like it's quite overwhelming at the moment. But businesses have been using, um, you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence for many years. Um, you know, it, it, and talking about AI um, as, as if it's something kind of, you know, brand new that we, you know, we have to kind of get a hold on. It was a bit like talking about the internet a few years ago. You know, you know oh gosh, you know, I remember as a as a young lawyer, you know, being told that you know it was important that we you know sent off paper letters and filed physical files in court, um, as as if we could kind of hold back the tide of of legis of, of the internet forever. And it's going to be a bit like that with AI. These things are happening. Uh, they're happening in a in a way that feels like it's you know it's all at once. But that doesn't mean that we can't get a handle on it if we try. When GDPR came in, I remember watching Mark Zuckerberg appearing before, I think it was one of the antitrust hearings in the US. And he was talking about how great GDPR is and how it would be brilliant if the US could implement elements of it. And ever since then, I've been kind of curious as to... Is it impossible to have the notion of implementing worldwide legislation or something of that ilk so that everybody is on the same page and you're not dealing with jurisdiction issues? I think that would be great and I'm all for it. Um, but I think we've, we've, we've learned from the lesson of the GDPR that uh, being, being first out of the, the gate is a, is a really useful thing. And one of the reasons that the, uh, the EU is so keen to push uh, the AI Act, for example, and get you know be, get that um, actually you know, out of out of the committee stages and and properly onto statute books before uh, you know, other other countries had had a, had a chance to really focus on the issue is because they know that if you bring the, the 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 legislation first and you say this has global effects, if you have if you're dealing with individuals, if you have a customer base in the EU, if, if then then this applies to you. Then ultimately, businesses in in the US and elsewhere will have to, to a certain extent, follow your lead. So I think what we will find is that if if the EU can can push its legislation out uh, and you know, set up meaningful, sensible frameworks, then there will be um, an extent to which it's as if that legislation has global effects. But uh, I think there's also it's also worth remembering that. You know, countries are different. People worry about different things in different places, um, and we sh- a one-size-fits-all approach to law is quite hard to operate across just across the EU, where there are some you know, very different uh, cultural approaches. You know, it, people are often surprised, for example, under the GDPR. So, you know, what's considered sensitive data and what isn't? It's considered sensitive data if 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 I if I tell people about my religion, but not if I tell them you know, what's in my bank account, and you know that's that's you know, choices have to be made that 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 people will find you know, culturally strange if you try to have you know universal global regulation. So I think it's it's you know, it would be great to see uh, more consistency, and I think we are starting to see that. And actually, there's been so much um, kind of global discussion in and around AI that I think we w- we will uh, see at least um, you know, voluntary cooperation on that front, if if not um, you know really consistent legislative approaches. Okay. But the only th- the only thing I would add to that is that um, it's it's interesting um, when big tech talks favorably about regulation, 
And you know, one of the challenges that that many organisations will have under the Digital Services Act is that actually even relatively small businesses will have obligations that they have to meet additional paperwork. There'll be a burden to that. If you're a big tech company, you love regulation to an extent because you can hire teams of lawyers and, and um, you know, set aside vast amounts of money to get on top of it. It can also, you know, it can become borderline anti-competitive if you are able to um, to engage with it in a way that other organisations can't. And you know you you can help shape it. You can you, know, you operate within its bounds, but but you determine where the you know where the benchmark is for enforcement in many cases. So I'm always a little nervous when I see um, big tech firms being very enthusiastic about regulation and say, oh yes, wouldn't it be great if we had you know, a universal approach to this? Because they they can do things in a universal way, and that that suits them well. But actually, I think we do need to be sensitive to uh, kind of national issues and the importance of being kind of regulated at a relatively local level in many cases. Joe Joyce, thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Jess. Now, when we come back here on News Talk, we're going to dip into the mailbag and answer your tech questions. 